Now, the Apostle Paul said in, in the book of Romans that I am a debtor. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. The Greeks are not on this side of the barbarians. I would just go and break it. <laughs> to the Greeks and to the barbarians. To the wise and to the unwise. I apologize. I didn't think about that. <laughs> to the wise and to the unwise or whatever. Uh, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When a uh, pastor called me up and said to come up and preach, you know, I'm pastor for 40 years. It's a thick book. <laughs> there are a lot of good things in the Bible. Very valuable things. Things about finances and marriage and the family. And you could go on with the whole list, and they're all extremely valuable. But I'm here once, and so what am I going to pick out? Uh, I preach maybe 10,000 sermons in my life. Um, and so I wanted to pick the thing that I think is the most important of the Bible. And I'm sure that that is true. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. Uh, there's no better subject, no more important subject than we can talk about than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that the others aren't valuable. They wouldn't be here if they aren't, weren't, you know. But if you're picking out one thing, that's the thing to communicate. And Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel, and it implies that he was ashamed of several things. Can I tell you something? I'm ashamed of a lot of things, too, in, in my life. I don't know. I'm sure you don't have this problem. But I look back, and I can think of several things real fast that I, I'm mortified that I did. Uh, you ever wake up in the middle of the night remembering what you did, and you almost blush, thinking, did I really do that? How could I have been so... Uh, obtuse or whatever the right word is. That's a good word because I don't know what it means. But <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, and as a pastor, you're in front of a lot of people in various situations. You just make lots of mistakes. Oh, my funerals. You know, but I'm not going to tell you any of them because I'm still ashamed of them. And I don't, uh, you, you don't, don't hold your breath. I'm not going to tell you anything I did wrong because I, I don't have to. You already figured that out. I, we were at a pastor's conference some years ago, and uh, they were having all the pastors give their most embarrassing event. And, and uh, there's a lot of ways uh, you can really make mistakes. I had a lot of funerals in Wenatchee, some of them two in a day, you know, 300 funerals, I believe it was, or something in that vicinity. And, and I made several mistakes. Oh, my. But, but uh, we were at this conference, and different ones were giving very... So I'm not going to tell you mine, but I'll tell you about somebody else's. Uh, <laughs> David, I don't know if you know David Jeremiah. I went to school with him and so on, and he's a pastor down in San, in, uh, San Diego area. And uh, he's on TV and so on. And Anyway, he was telling his most embarrassing one, and, and uh, he was... You know, funerals sometimes are big events. Uh, if, if something has happened, it's a town, you have it in a big auditorium. I've had a few of those. The TV people are there, you know. And, 
and, and that tenseness gets into it before you're going to get up and do whatever you're supposed to do at that particular event. And uh, Jeremiah was at this one, and it was a big auditorium, he said, and there were, oh, thousands probably going to be there because of who it was. So he's nervous, and he's walking around back behind in a, a corridor, and he realized there's a lot of people there, and he didn't want to be seen, so he slipped into a room, and he was said he was uh, walking back and forth, kind of, you know, thinking over what he was going to say, and a lady came into the room. And she was watching. He says, well, you always this nervous before you have a funeral? And he says, oh, no. I says, I'm not nervous. And this is, she says, well, then what are you doing in the ladies' restroom? <laughs> well, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, actually, I think your pastor said you're going through the book of John, and I looked at that. The last half of the book of John is about the gospel. From chapter 12 on, the last six days, it says six days before Passover. So the last six days from chapter 12 to 21 are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he did in the last six days are the things that, that uh, are Easter, are the gospel, the truth of the things of the Lord. Now, Paul was ashamed, though, so we'll go to that. Paul was ashamed of many things. First of all, he was ashamed of his own past, just like most of us are. Uh, probably you know Acts 8.3. You won't need to turn there. Uh, I'm going to use passages that I suspect you people are pretty knowledgeable in the Bible, so I didn't have them printed out. But you know the story. Paul was at Stephen's uh, killing, and they laid uh, the garments at Paul's feet. He was the one that led in, in Stephen being stoned to death, you know. And then after that, uh, he uh, was going into houses and grabbing people out of the house and taking them off to prison. And, he, 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 and, and that was in his past. He was ashamed of that past. Um, and then on the road to Damascus, uh, the Lord Jesus struck him down. Bright light, remember that, a couple chapters later. And uh, the Lord says to him in a voice, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He's ashamed of his past, and he had a, a past like that. And I've discovered that most people that I've dealt with that are Christians have something in their past that they're deeply ashamed about. Um, early on in my ministry, I was, um, well, I have people come in, adultery, and they tell you about this story and that event, and, 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 and it, it's, just, it's just still there in their background, and they... They have a hard time getting rid of it. I really, really remember my very first church. One of my deacons came and he says, I don't know if I should be a deacon. He says, I, I've never told anybody this, but I was in the Second World War. I to, well, my wife knows it. She'll figure out who I'm talking about. I've never told this one before. He says, I was in the, in the war and we were fighting. And the first lieutenant had given me all kinds of problems. And I was mad at him. And we were out on a... On a something walking through and he was up there and he had just given me a trouble and so I pulled out my gun and I shot him shot him in the side as he turned killed him Apostle Paul was at the killing of somebody too he wanted to know whether he should be a deacon that's 25 years later then I'm a 26 year old guy I'm supposed to have the answers um, but most people, you know something, most people have something in their life. And, and I'm not, I, this is not confession time. I'm not a priest. 
There's one you can go to. Um, but I think one of the first steps in salvation is recognizing that I am a sinner, that there are things in my life that need to be cared for. I don't think anybody's really a believer till they come to that recognition. And um, the Apostle Paul had that in his life. He was ashamed of his past. And he was ashamed of his own sins. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the chief of sinners. It's hard to assess that. I, I've had lots of people try to evaluate. Did he really think that he was the chief of sinners? And I think so. But was he the chief of sinners? And I don't think so. He was sinful enough. But the point is that most of us recognize that our sin is chief to us. And he was ashamed of the fact that he was a sinner and still a sinner. Um, we have the ugly things in our life, failures, defeats. But as I said, I think it's the first step in salvation, his sin. He was also ashamed of the depravity of his society or society in general. You know Romans 1.29 talks about all the sins that we have. Chapter 3, verse 10 uh, is a strong statement about that. As it is written, I believe it is written, there is none righteous no, not one. There's none that seeketh after, you know, these passages. None seeketh after God. They're all gone out of their way. They're together become unprofitable. Um, <laughs> society. And I'm ashamed of my generation. Um, in all honesty, and, and, you know, us people over 65, we tend to think that we were the best. Well, let me tell you something. We weren't. Um, a lot of greed. A lot of hypocrisy. And if you're 68 like me or whatever, uh, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of hypocrisy in some of the things we think and do. And we need to, we need to see that. I'm ashamed of the present society. It's not getting any better, see? <laughs> New things come in that are equally evil and differently evil. And I'm ashamed of a lot of the things that I see out there. I'm ashamed of my government. I see in the news all the time about what was this most recent one, the SCC or whatever it is that investigates uh, financial institutions and they're spending eight hours a day watching pornography. I'm ashamed of people like Madoff. I'm ashamed of the Wall Street. I am. I'm ashamed of them. A lot of them are just greedy, hypocritical uh, people who take advantage of us. So I'm ashamed of that. And religions, I'm ashamed of religions. Um, many of the religions in the world are just simply power blocks trying to impose their will on other people. And so Paul was ashamed. And he was also ashamed of believers. And there are a lot of scriptures that talk about his shame of uh, believers. Galatians chapter 3, uh, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Have you begun in the spirit, and now you're trying to live in the flesh? <laughs> Some of them were trying to live by works. Going back into the Old Testament system, 
the old Pharisaical approach, 1 Corinthians 1.11. Um, I understand, or Paul says, that there are divisions among you, contentions. And some of them are saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, and, you know... Uh, we, you know, there's a tendency on, the, on our part to be followers of somebody, religious groups. I've got my guy, and you've got your guy, and we think they're the best one out there, and, and whatever they say is right, and that's really wrong. <laughs> um, so there are contentions. Uh, the Phoebe and Synecdoche had an argument, so he was ashamed of those kind of things. And then uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 4, he says, I'm ashamed of, you can read it. Because you weren't ready when the offering came. Uh, <laughs> and that strikes me because, you know, I, 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 this, this hits me. I'm retired now, and I'm, the amount of money I make, I'm in poverty level. Okay, don't feel sorry for me. Okay, I'm, that's not my point. But I am. I'm, I don't make much money. I don't get much. I'm, Social Security had much. I didn't make a lot as a preacher, and I don't have a lot stashed away. Um, and uh, now I'm a poverty should I tithe still in my life, you know, when the offering plate comes? And what's the answer? Yeah, yeah, I should. But it's tempting, you know, because like, I, I tithed and everything I gave to the government, now they're giving me back a little bit. You know, you, you can, people can justify those kind of things. But I'm ashamed of some of my own believers as much as I'm ashamed of myself, and Paul was, and he left us that example. Now... He was ashamed, but there's something he is not ashamed about, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he appropriated that gospel to his life and to his activities, to what he was to do and what God is to do through him. Now, in the, uh, I've memorized King James, but I read out of New American, and actually I'm a language ma- I was a language major in seminary. So every time I see a phrase like, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, I see that word of and I think genitive because, quite honestly, um, the big paper I had to write in graduate school, you, had, you know when you're in certain areas you have to write something, and so I, I uh, wrote a, uh, my dissertation on the word of, which is a genitive, it's a genitive case, and oh look, it was 120 pages, so I could write 120 pages on one word because, well... As you know, there's nominative, accusative, dative, uh, and uh, genitive. And the genitive has eight subdivisions. There's subjective genitive, objective genitive, partitive genitive, descriptive genitive. You don't want to hear all that, I know. But it's important to me. I wrote a paper on it. so uh, you know. <laughs> But when you see that word of, you have to decide which genitive it is. And I'm also aware that many of your Bibles, the word of Christ is not there, although it is like in several other times in Romans, uh, like in chapter, I think it's 13, verse 19 or something like that. But you know in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, it gives a description of what the gospel is. So of, it is a subjective genitive. That means that the subject of the gospel is Jesus. He is the subject. He's not the object. It's not a descriptive because later on in in passages, you're going to discover that there's the gospel of peace, the gospel of God. Those are descriptive genitives. They are not the gospel. They're describing things about the gospel. 
That's important to me because, you know, in graduate school at the University of Idaho, I had to take this class with a bunch of people in Book of Romans who weren't believers, and they would say, well, it's the gospel of peace. Everybody wants the gospel of peace, but that's not the truth of the matter. The gospel is the gospel of Christ. He is the subject. And uh, I lost a lot of arguments with them, but they're wrong. Okay? He is. And, and throughout Book of Romans and 1 Corinthians 15, when he gets to that, he makes it clear. What is the gospel? Dearly brother, I declare unto you the gospel of Jesus Christ. How that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and then he was seen. <laughs> All four of them, that's the gospel. That is what the gospel is. Believe me, that's the gospel. That's the definitive, dogmatic definition of what the gospel is. And that's important because all other religious movements are about systems and rules. But Christianity is about Christ. That's why it's called Christianity. <laughs> right? He is the gospel. And, you know, socialism, humanism, Nazi I had to study Nazism. Nazism is a very rule-oriented thing. Islam is very rule, seven rules of Islam. Um, they, they're all, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he got saved, would have made a great Muslim. He was hauling people off to jail. I'm going to make you be one. I'll have you killed if you don't, you know. But that isn't the gospel. The gospel is, here is Jesus. He died for you. You don't die for him. He died for you. And Paul had been very, very religious, and then he got saved. <laughs> he got saved because of Jesus Christ, because of who Jesus was. And, you know, we use the word Jesus, and that is 100% correct. But in the scriptures, typically, it's not just Jesus, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just the salvation. He is a person far above and beyond comprehension. I doubt that any of us even comes close to grasping who and how great the Lord Jesus is. He's more than a person. You know, we have our famous people nowadays. Athletes are big. They had this draft the last two or three days. I, I followed it. although the Seahawks are a losing team anyway, so give it up. But... Uh, <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But anyway, <laughs> millions of dollars to pay those guys, and we, we ape them. We, we, we think, man, these are great people. Um, hey, by the way, if you offer me $25 million, I'll go out there and try to do something too. But they didn't offer me any of it. Uh, Jesus was not a, a, a diva. Well, he couldn't have been a diva. That's a woman. Um, he was not a military expert. He was not a politician, none of those things. He was the Lord God of eternity, much more than anything that we can imagine. Paul writes in Romans 10, uh, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God, the Word was, was God. 
The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by who? Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Did you get that? In him was what? Life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness doesn't understand it. But you know, he was and is and continues to be. I um, like the passage over in Titus. Um, For the grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously, soberly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, that's who he is. The uh, paper here not too long ago had an article about a guy who was dying down in L.A., a wealthy individual. And in his last 70-some hours, they spent $800,000 trying to keep him alive. Now, I don't blame the doctors for that, because if you offer me $800,000, I'll, I'll do lots of things. <laughs> but um, hanging on to a life, 800000 but how much do we hang on to the really uh, true Savior and Christ and Lord, the King of Kings? We have a, we have a, a mixed-up valuation system. And since I know who Christ is, and because of what he did for me, then I am debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, and to the unwise to preach the gospel as much as in me is, as well as you. I know who he is, and I'm a debtor. It's my responsibility, my opportunity to portray and proclaim the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came into the world to seek and to save the lost, the only one who can meet your need and help you and direct you. And so we go to my third main point. Paul was amazed by the gospel, what it would do. You know, we have an amazing God, and Jesus is God. Oh, you think, my, the Bible's got some more fantastic stories. I read novels and all kinds of things. And, of course, there are movies out and so on of fantastic things. But nothing matches what, what God through, has done with his people. I mean, Daniel's in a lion's den. You remember that? Of course. And they don't eat him. But the thing that always is remarkable about that story is what happened to the guys they threw in afterwards. You know, <laughs> somebody said that uh, they tried to eat Daniel, but he had too much backbone. It could be, I don't know. But, but in that amazing thing, that uh, event, or the sun stood still for a whole day. Now, I took science. I mean, I, was in, uh, I taught science, actually, in junior high. When you understand the solar system and how it works, for the suns to stand still is an impossibility physically. I mean, you, you have to be a believer to believe that that could happen. But it stood still. Uh, no one's ever done that kind of thing. Just impossible. Elijah's up in Mark Carmel. You could go on. We have an amazing God. He's able to do tremendous things. 
And he has pure, uh, uh, power to cure society. Power to cure society. In uh, Colossians, and I think we have that uh, verse that we can put up there, uh, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience. How many of you are a very patient person? Well, the only one that can make you patient. And long-suffering, that's even harder. To suffer people for a long time, even though they're a... You ever had a boss or a friend that was just insufferable? Well, how can you long-suffer such a person? Well, we don't. (laughs) But he is powerful. For patience, long-suffering, even to do it with joy. Um, Amazing thing. Uh, Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Yeah. Uh, Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh shall live by the power of the Son of God who died for me. Yeah, there's, there's really a wonderful thing that God can do. And when he gets into somebody's life, he can do amazing things with us who have feet of clay. I got this from uh, Philadelphia College of the Bible, and I cannot document uh, all of this. I tried a little bit. I can document the story about Jonathan Edwards, but the other one I can't, so don't ask me to, but I, since it came from the source it did, I accept as true. The difference between two men, now this happened back in the 1700s, because that's when Jonathan Edward lived. Max Jukes lived in the state of New York, and so this was a sociological research paper done by a person at the school. He did not believe in Christian training. He married a girl of like character. From their union, they have studied 1,026 descendants since 1700. And this was done about 20 years ago. 300 of them died prematurely. 100 were sent to the penitentiary for the average of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes. There were over 100 known drunkards. And the family known cost to the state of New York, and of course this is a lot of money nowadays, was 1,200,000. They made no contribution to society that we can determine. Jonathan Edwards lived in the same state. He believed in Christian training. If you know who he was, he was a preacher in New England. He married a girl-like character. From this union, they have studied 729 descendants. Out of this family have come 300 preachers, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authors of good books, three United States congressmen, and one vice president of the United States. The difference in the two families was what Christ did in their lives. Yeah, believe me. And I, by the way, uh, that's not my study, but I have been a pastor for many years, and I can tell you the effect of a Christian home in the lives of people. And yeah, their failures, pastors, kids, and all of that, but statistically, far, far better results than lives that are lived in a drug-induced state, in the meanness of a society that some are in, and the results that come from the downward spiral of life lived in sin. 
Yeah, there's power to change society. And it only comes from one source. Only one source. It's not education. It's regeneration. (laughs) By the way, I believe in education. I was in it. But regeneration is what really changes people. Power to live above our circumstances. Uh, Most of everybody has some circumstances that are really difficult. You're getting sued. Uh, some family members are in trouble, there's a divorce in the family, some financial people, you know, you're out of work. Uh, most people have something going on in their life, and how do you live above it? And so uh, I've got a scripture, Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above <laughs> all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now I talked about the genitive. This is a dative, the word in. And and when you think of a dative, you have to think of a circle. Got a circle? And you know what a preposition is? It's prepositioned. The word Latin, it comes before another word. But a genitive is the word in. And so in a circle, the word in is in the circle. From is from the circle. To is to the circle. See, that's how you determine linguistically the various uh, datives and how they work and so on. Um, Down is down, up is up, you know, from the circle. Uh, uh, Into means you come from outside in, but in means you're in. And we are in Christ. He's the one that does the power and allows us to live in the circumstance. Um, And I know that's true because it's true in my life. You cannot do it alone. It's a catastrophe. One of the the greatest misuses of truth in society today is humanism that says you can do it. If you'll try hard enough. I know at graduation ceremony, I get so frustrated, I hate to even go to them. You can be anything you want to be. Well, you can't be anything you want to be. But with Christ in you, you can Uh, believe me, and I I don't mean by that you shouldn't try, you shouldn't work hard, that's not the issue. The issue is if you try to do it on your own in society, it'll be a catastrophic failure. I I came across several years ago an illustration of this, and it's one of my favorite of all time. I've seen several similar to this, but this is the best one. It's dated, it's from my era of time. But listen to this, just to show you that you can't do it alone. This guy writes into his insurance company, and I'm sure you've seen something like this. I'm writing, he says, in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident report form, I put, trying to do the job alone as the cause of my accident. You said in your letters that I should explain more fully. I trust that the following details shall be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley that was fortunately attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the brick into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of brick. 
You will note in block number two, the accident report form, that I weigh 135. <laughs> Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind, forgot to let go of the rope, and needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground. The bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighs approximately 40 pounds. Again, I refer you to my weight in block number two. As you might imagine, I began a rather rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I again met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my two fractured ankles and lacerations on my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, only three vertebrae were broke. Cracked, I guess. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the bricks in pain, Unable to stand and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind, let go of the rope, and so it came back down and broke both my legs. I hope I have furnished the information you required as to how the accident occurred. It was because I was trying to do the job alone. You know, it's funny, but the thing is, Catastrophe is because we try to do it alone. And friend, may I assure you from deep experience personally and in the lives of many people, you cannot do eternity on your own. And you cannot do this life on your own. And you need the Lord Jesus Christ to make it. And to live above circumstances or any other thing, you need Jesus. And so my... Final point is power to save the lost. He came into his own, John writes, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Jesus came to seek and to save. It is the power of the gospel. It's not the power of the preacher. It's not the power of our church. It's not the power of our politicians. It's not power of any written book or great uh, leader of any kind. It is the power of one person only, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the one that saves. He's the one that helps and provides, and you can go to him anytime, anywhere, any place, and he is there ready, willing, and able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think, and I assure you that that is true. And you cannot do it alone. I look back in my life, and I never led one person to the Lord as Savior, because <laughs> Jesus did it all. It's nice to go back and see all the names of people that accepted the Lord. It's nice to see that the last person we reached uh, in our last church was a guy by the name of Cap Olfers. Actually, I haven't led anybody to the Lord since, or I haven't been present when somebody got saved. Cap Olfers, he was uh, an older gentleman that came to church, uh, pretty sick and decrepit. He had been a captain of a cruise liner out of Sweden, and he'd done this for years, and 
ran a cruise, uh, you know, big tourist uh, thing. And uh, he was living there, and he came to church. Uh, somebody in our church invited him, and he'd come to church, and he couldn't stand my invitations at the end of the service. He'd get up and walk out. I said, why do you get up and walk? He said, well, I can't stand the end. I can't stand how you end. You always ask people to get saved, and I just can't sit through that, so I leave. But he kept coming. My wife and I had a class with him then finally, and he would come, and we'd talk about how to get saved. And he said, well, yeah, he knew he needed to do that, but he was a horrible sinner. He started to list all of his sins. Man, life, I couldn't believe that. I mean, if he was telling the truth, and I had no reason to doubt it, he did a lot of stuff he shouldn't have done. But they got saved. He called me up one morning, and he said, you know, he says, I can't stand this any longer. He says, I've got to do something about it. He says, can I just pray here at home and get this over with? And I said, yes, you can. Because we'd gone through how to do it, and he knew what he was doing. So then he took me out to lunch the next day, and he said, you know, I really feel relieved. <laughs> Jesus came into his life, and he's changed. He tells his kids. His kid says, I can't believe it. He's, he doesn't swear like he used to. He still, still slips out occasionally, but not like it used to. And uh, he's trying to talk us all to go to church. His, his wife was really instrumental. His second wife was a Christian and had a lot to do with his getting saved. But he got saved. God can work in just about anybody, but friend, I don't care how good you are. You need the Lord. You can't do it alone. Too many people think they're good and they can do it themselves. That's, that's, that's a common thing in our society. But you need the Lord Jesus, and it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I'm not ashamed about. Everything else I can have some shame about, but I'm not ashamed to be a preacher of the gospel. That is the highest, most noble calling in the world, and it's a privilege to be able to tell people about him. And I'm glad to be able to do it. Thank you for letting me talk about him. May God work in your life. If you need him, you need him today. You don't need him tomorrow. You need him right now. If you need him as a savior, if you need him to help him through some difficult times, don't do it alone. He's there, right, present, and willing to hear your need and willing to bless as only he can. Lord God, thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son, who is God, the word, the truth, the life came to reach us, undeserved people, and touch our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.